Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Ask His help as we look at His Word. Father, we come to You. And Father, we ask that as we look at Your Word, that You would give us understanding of it, Father. We ask that You would use it to strengthen our faith. That we would remember that You are the one who makes us strong. That You are where the victory is found. And so, Father, we thank You for the ability to know You. And we ask that as we look at your word, we would know you more and be conformed more to the image of Christ. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. And so this morning we're going to be in the book of Ephesians in chapter 6. The book of Ephesians in chapter 6. In just a few moments we will read through this passage. But I want to start by simply asking you this question. Are we as Christians at war? Are we at war? And the answer is yes. We are in a war. I don't just think this. I believe that the Bibles teach this and assume that we are at war. And so as we look at this passage, we're going to see just that, that we are at war. But I want you to know that you can look around you in the world today, in the society today, and see that we are in a war. There are many immoral, crazy things that go on in our society. Many things that, that we look at and as Christians we should stand opposed to. That we as Christians, we should do our part as citizens in a country where we can vote and elect our representatives to vote and influence our legislators to enact laws that honor God. Because the truth of the matter is, there is no neutral law, there is no neutral society, and honestly, there's no neutral politician. Either you honor Christ or you don't. Either the laws honor Christ or they don't. Either what we do in a society honors Christ or it doesn't. And when we look around our society, it is commonplace in our society to see things such as Drag Queen Story Hour at public libraries, where we have people who are men who dress as women and sexualize young children by reading to them in a public forum. On top of that, you have the idea where they call it health care, but it's really child mutilation, where you're chopping off body parts because the child has gender dysphoria and believes that they are not the gender that they were born. On that note, be praying for our legislatures. They are currently looking at Senate Bill 14, Senate Bill 1029, and House Bill 1686 here in the state of Texas to outlaw minor gender-affirming care. So be in prayer for that, that we can save these children. On top of that, we look around us, and we see that we also are in another war trying to save children because there are people in our society that are trying to push legislation to make minor attracted persons, as they call it, a protected class. In other words, pedophiles. And so we see that. Not to even mention the ongoing sacrifice of children that we see at abortion clinics. We need to remember Leviticus 18.21, you should not give any of your children to offer them to Molech. And so profane the name of your God. Same demons, different names. That's what we're seeing in our culture. Same demons, different names.
But we need to understand something. These people are not our enemies. And it's really easy for us as Christians when we talk about these terrible things to start looking and making like our minds and our hearts be hateful toward these types of people. But we need to understand something. What we see on the outside, these physical things that we see are really a picture of what's going on spiritually. Because our war is not a physical war, it is a spiritual war. There is a reason that there are things promoted in our society, such as the things we just discussed. One is because people know these things are wrong, they just suppress it and do not care. The Bible tells us in Romans 2, 18-20, that what is plain to be known about God and His law is plain to everyone just by the creation that God has made. And yet people, in their sinfulness, suppress the truth. That's why we say there are no real atheists. There are no real people who actually in their heart believe these things are right. doesn't mind what the mind says. God says God has written these things in their heart that are plain to see. They just suppress the truth in their ungodliness. Not only that, we see in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, that these people are blinded by Satan. These people are blinded by Satan. And that's why we see these type of things going on. Because people suppress the truth and they are blinded by the devil. When we think back to what we have read in this chapter, in in this book, in Ephesians in chapter 2, we read that we once were dead in our trespasses in which we all once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. In other words, if it weren't for God, we'd be in the exact same place. So we are not better than anybody else. As Christians, we do not possess anything better in us than anyone else does except for the Holy Spirit. And that's what we see in here in this next passage, verse 4, chapter 2. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses made us alive together with Christ. And that is our hope that God makes us alive together with Christ. That's why we are not running around doing all these wicked things. It doesn't mean we don't sin. We still struggle with sin, and we turn from that, and we have forgiveness of that. But it's important for us to know that the reason we have victory over these things is because Christ has set us free. He has made us alive in Him. And so as we look at this passage this morning, we're going to see that Paul teaches like Christians in Ephesus, he teaches them that God gives them the strength to win the spiritual war that they are in. And so we're going to take a look now at Ephesians in chapter 6, reading verses 10 through 13. If you are able, please stand as we read God's word together. Ephesians in chapter 6, starting in verses 10 through 11. And when I finish, I'm going to say this is the word of the Lord. And if I appreciate it, if you would say thanks be to God. So we're going to look here. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, 
against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Friends, what I believe God has for us this morning is simply this, that the strength to win the spiritual war that we are in is found in Christ. The strength to win the spiritual war that we are in is found in Christ. And as we look at this passage, we're going to uncover four keys to being victorious in this war, to winning this war. And the first one we're going to notice there is right there in verse 10. The first key to winning the war is to build your strength. To build your strength. Notice there verse 10, finally, be strong in the Lord. God calls on us as Christians to be strong, but not an earthly type of strong. Notice what it says. They're strong in who? In our favorite politician? In our favorite political party? In my big, big muscles? In my ability to use weapons? Is that what we're called to be strong in? Who is it that keeps us safe? God. We are called to be strong in the Lord. Notice what it then says, and in the strength of His might. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. The Lord is where our strength comes from. We look to the Lord for our strength. It is the Lord who gives us the ability to do everything that we do. He's the one who gives us the air that is in our lungs. He's the one that keeps our heart beating. He is the one who enables us to go and go to work and get food so that we can sustain ourselves. He's the one that gives us the ability to care for and protect ourselves because he is the one who is our strength. And so we must be strong in the Lord, looking to him for our strength. Paul says something similar to to the Christians in Colossae. And as he's in Colossae, he's asking and he's praying that God will help them to live how they're called to live as Christians. And he says these words in Colossians 1.11, being strengthened with all power according to his, talking about God's, glorious might for all endurance and patience and joy. His prayer there is that we would be strengthened, that the Christians there be strengthened with the power and the might of God. And that is our prayer too, that we would be strong in the Lord. And the key to that is to trust Him, to trust in the Lord, to know His Word, and to rely on the fact that He is for you and He is not against you, that in the end, He wins. To be strong in the Lord means to be strong in faith. Trust the Lord. Where do you rely for your strength? Where does it come from? What are you relying on for your strength? What do you put your hope in? The Bible tells us as Christians, we are to put our hope in Christ. We are to put our hope in the Lord, to be strong in the Lord. That is the key to winning the war, is to be strong in the Lord, to build your strength. But we see here another key, In verse 11, and that is simply to wear your armor. To wear your armor. Notice there what it says in verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God. Put on the whole 
armor of God. And then we see very similar there in verse 13. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God. If we are going to win this war, we need to be prepared for it. And a soldier does not go into war without getting decked out in his gear. He's going to put on his helmet. He's going to put on his vest, his plate carrier. He's going to get everything he needs so that he can go and be the most effective soldier that he can be and he can be the safest that he can be while doing those things. As Christians, we are called to put on our armor. You're called to wear your armor because that is going to help you to win the war. Notice there in what this armor is, and we'll talk a little bit more about this next week, but notice there, verse 14, we see a little bit about this armor. This armor is truth. This armor is righteousness. This armor is readiness of the gospel. This armor is faith. This armor is salvation. And this armor is the Word of God. And so this armor of God all these things that are included make up the armor of God. Notice this is not a physical armor. It is a spiritual one. And so we as Christians were called to, to take up this, this truth because truth is on our side. The world wants to say that truth is relative. It is not. Truth is absolute and it comes from God and we have the truth on our side. There's no reason to be squeamish about the truth. Just say the truth and let God do the work. That's all we have to do. We don't have to give caveats. We don't have to give apologies for the truth. Just with love, share the truth and trust God to do what He said He will do. We take that truth that is with us and that truth we see is in the Word of God, which we see is also our weapon as Christians. The Word of God, the sword of the Spirit. We go out with the truth and God's Word by faith, trusting that God is with us. And notice there, it says, Uh, When you have that that faith, you're able to extinguish the darts of the evil one. In other words, when you trust in the Lord and you are confident in the Lord, the devil can't do anything to you because God has got you. He has got you. You are on the right side. We have this righteousness. And notice this righteousness is not a righteousness that is of, of ourselves. We do not have a personal righteousness of our own apart from Christ. When Jesus died on the cross, He took our sin. He paid for our sin. And when we trust Christ, we receive His righteousness. And then as we go through life, yes, we pursue to live a more righteous life by the grace that He gives us and the faith that He gives us. And so that's one of the armors, the righteousness of Christ and the pursuant of righteousness that we are heading for and looking for. Paul also talks about armor in Romans in chapter 13. Then verse 12, it says, The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies of drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ. You see, that is ultimately our armor. To put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says, make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. And we have this hope when we wear our armor there in Ephesians in chapter 6. Notice there verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against 
the schemes of the devil. You may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. The devil is a scheming, scheming beast. The devil is going and his angels are going to want to tempt you and try you. The devil is doing a good job in our society at doing what he's doing. Because so many people have now in their minds that what is untrue is actually true. Where it's been a great reversal of truth and fiction, of fact and fiction. He has many, many schemes. But when we wear our armor, when we trust the Lord, notice what it says, we're able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Friends, are you pursuing that righteousness? Are you trusting the Lord? Are you going out with truth? Do you realize that the truth is on your side? That God is on your side? That you don't, have to, you don't have to make apologies for the truth. You can simply share the truth in love and trust God to do what He's going to do. For God says no word of His ever returns back void. It will accomplish what He meant it to accomplish in each situation. And so the key to winning the war is to build your strength and to wear your armor. And also we must know our enemy. We are tempted as people, natural as we are, to look at the world around us and the people doing crazy wicked things around us and think that they are our ultimate enemy. But they're not. The devil is. Notice there, verse 13, or verse 12, it says, For therefore we... Do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Our fight is not a physical fight. We are not wrestling against people. Our fight is not against people. And it cannot be won by physical means. It doesn't matter how many uh, people we try to vote into office. It doesn't matter what we think the legislation should be. Unless Christ is doing a great work in the lives of people, then we are not able to win this war. So many times we want to rely on what people can do. We want to rely on political parties. But our hope, our Savior, is not who's in the White House. Our Savior is not who's the mayor and city council. Our Savior is not who our governor or representatives are. Our Savior is Christ. See, we don't need a revolution. We need a revival. We need the Holy Spirit of God to come into the lives of people to open their minds and their eyes to the wickedness that is around. We need a spiritual awakening. And I want to ask that you join me in praying for that because our enemy is not flesh and blood. It is ultimately the devil and his angels. Notice what it says here as we continue in verse 12. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers and authorities, causing powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. All that is just to say against the devil and the devil's minions. You see, the devil, he rebelled against God because he wanted to be God. And so God cast him out of heaven and there were angels that were following the devil and they were cast out of heaven too. And for the time being, God allows them to exercise dominion over this earth, but yet we see that in the end, the Lord still wins. But we need to understand we have a very formidable adversary. 
Our enemy is wise. He is cunning. And he is not going to just show up with red horns and a pointy tail. One of his favorite disguises is an angel of light. And what does that mean? To seem like someone sent by God. Think of back to the garden. Adam and Eve, they were created, they were told not to eat of this fruit. And what does the serpent say? Did God really say you would die if you eat that fruit? Did he really say that? No, no, no. You just got to understand, God, he's just kind of selfish. He knows that if you eat this fruit, you're going to be like he is. You're going to be like God. That's why he told you that. Don't, you don't have to worry about that. Look, it looks good. Why don't you eat it? And so Eve, she ate the fruit because Adam wasn't doing his job at protecting his wife. And then Adam, letting his wife be the guinea pig, took the fruit. And as soon as he bit into the fruit, sin entered into the world. We see that our enemy is very cunning. He's dangerous. And so we see in 1 Peter 5, 8-9, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. He prowls around, seeking someone to devour. There are no such thing as small sins. If we allow any sin into our life, into our homes, we are opening ourselves up to the attack of the devil and his angels. The devil's looking to devour us. And when Jesus was tempted by Satan himself, how did Jesus respond? What did he use? How did he resist the temptation? What was his tool, his weapon against it? Scripture. He quoted Scripture. And so it seems that the way to not be devoured by the devil is to devour the Word. Know the Word. Or else, we'll fall by the wayside. We'll get attacked. We must know our enemy and trust the Lord. And when we realize that our enemy prowls around looking to devour us, we then continue in verse 9 of 1 Peter chapter 5. Resist him. In other words, fight against him. Firm in your faith. Knowing that you're not alone in your suffering. Knowing that you're not alone in your trial and in your temptation and in the tribulation that you face as Christians. You are not alone in it. It says here, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Why? Because the world hates Christians. They're either for God or against God. They're either for Christ or against Christ. And we are told to take heart for Jesus said, the world has hated me, it will hate you. But then we have this hope to take heart for Christ has overcome what? The world. And because He has overcome the world, we see this fourth key to winning the war. And that is simply... Keep your faith. Keep your faith. 
If we're going to win this war, you've got to build your strength. Look into the Lord. You've got to wear your armor. You've got to know your enemy. And you've got to keep the faith. Notice there in verse 13 what the Word of God says. He says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God. Put on that salvation. Put on that righteousness of Christ. Put on that trust. Go with the truth on your side. Take up the whole armor of the Lord. That you may be able to withstand in the evil day. The days are evil. We read a few weeks ago in Ephesians in chapter 4 and chapter 5 how, how we are living in evil days and how we are called to know how to best live in these days. And part of that is by taking off the whole armor of God that we may be able to withstand the evil day, that we may be able to withstand and stand against our enemy, to have victory against our enemy. Then he says, and having done all, giving it everything we can, he says, stand firm. Stand firm. The idea there is that we keep the faith. That we stand firm upon the Word of God and trust God. Because we know that He wins. He is our Creator. He's our Sustainer. He is at the right hand of God, ruling and reigning right now. We can trust Him. We can keep the faith. As Christians, we are called to hold the line. We are not called to retreat. We cannot compromise. Because if we compromise the truth, what we are saying is, God, Your Word is not sufficient. I know Your Word says this, but uh, it's maybe not true because you know these people say this. And so we've got to compromise a little bit. Anytime we compromise, what we're doing is saying that God's Word is not authoritative, but that God's Word is is not powerful, that God's Word is not God's Word. And so as Christians, we are called to hold the line, to stand firm, and to always ask the question, by what standard are people saying this and doing this? If it is a standard other than God's Word, we throw it out. As Christians, we do not live according to the standards and the principles of this, of this world. We live according to the Word of God, and we are called to stand firm and never compromise on the truth. Never compromise on our faith because we are in a spiritual war. We are in a spiritual war and at times it seems like the enemy is winning, but take heart, the enemy is not winning. The enemy will be defeated. Though for a little while he has suppressed the truth, though for a little while people in their own sinfulness have suppressed the truth, even though for a little while he has darkened the mind and the eyes of people. We have this confidence. 1 Peter 5.10 And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ, will Himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. The Lord is on your side. He is on your side. So we are in a war, and the strength to win this war is found in Christ. Christ helps us to build our strength, to wear our armor, to know our enemy, and to keep the faith. He will not lose any that He has called to Himself. He holds us in His hand. Our faith is secure, knowing all the while that in the end we win because Christ wins. Christ defeats Satan he defeats the armies of men that have set him, themselves against Him. He defeats them by 
You catch this? His own word. We read that a little earlier in our service. In Revelation 18, 11 through 21, everyone thinks that it's going to be this massive battle. It's not. Jesus is going to show up and he's going to be like, you're dead and they're dead. It's done. It's going to take like that. It's done. We win in the end because Christ wins. And so until then, we keep going, pursuing this victory in Christ, putting on our spiritual armor, keeping the faith, and pushing on standing firm because we know that Christ wins. And so what does that look like for us now? Simply live by faith in this world because the way that people are going to become a part of the kingdom that we're in is through the message of the gospel. Like I said earlier, we don't need a revolution. We need a revival. We need people to know the truth about Christ because the truth of Christ sets people free. And so freedom, true freedom, which we should all want as Americans, right? True freedom is found in Christ. It is found in Christ. So my prayer is that this passage, this passage will ignite in you a burning desire to pursue victory in the war that we are fighting. And as we go through this life, we face the temptations, we face the trials, the persecutions that we will undoubtedly face. Remember this. Paul writes in Romans 8, 35, 37, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger, or sword. As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Know in all these things, in the trials that we face, in the temptations that we face, in the darkness that we are surrounded by, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. The strength to win the war is found in Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You. We thank You that in You we have victory. That in You we know that we win in the end. And so, Father, ignite in us this burning desire to pursue that victory. To continue to grow strong in You by trusting You and looking to Your Word and gathering as, as a church family. Knowing that these days are evil and that we can be encouraged to keep the faith. Father, would you help us to, to always put on your armor and the righteousness that you have given us to, to acknowledge how dangerous our enemy is and how we need to rely on you for strength, that you would deliver us from all evil and all temptation. And Father, that ultimately that you would help us to stand firm on your promises, to keep the faith that we might be a light in this darkness as we go forth sharing your truth. And Father, we pray for revival. Father, we pray that you would pour out your spirit upon our nation, that our leaders would come to grips with the truth of your word, that they would come to know Christ, and that they would lead in a way that honors Christ. And Father, we pray for our neighbors that you would pour out your Spirit upon them, that as we go out and share the Gospel with them, the good news of Christ and Him crucified for our sins, that they too would hear this truth and come to know you. 
And Father, we pray for us that we would always cling to that truth, knowing that it is the gospel of Christ in which we have believed, in which we stand, and by which we are being saved. Father, we thank you for the good news of Jesus Christ and the victory that we have in him. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.